The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Alleluia. Refrains of the Easter season. One of the privileges I have as the Archbishop of Philadelphia is visiting uh, parishes on weekends especially. And one of the things that's been wonderful this spring is that we've had a lot of parish anniversaries. I've celebrated 400th anniversaries of four of our parishes, and this morning I celebrated the 50th anniversary of St. Thomas More Parish. So that's a lot of rejoicing. Now, the Easter season, as I've mentioned at this Mass many times before, is a series of lessons on how to be the church. And those are great readings for parish anniversary celebrations because the reason a parish would celebrate an anniversary is in order to examine whether or not it was faithful to the gift that was handed on to them 50 years ago or 100 years ago, whatever it might be. Uh, it's not enough for a parish to thank God for what has happened, uh, for it to be a real anniversary celebration, like a wedding anniversary celebration. It's important for the parish to recommit itself to being faithful to God in the future. So I gave them a test this morning, uh, characteristics of a parish that is faithful and true. And I'd like to do that here at our cathedral this evening because it saves me from having to write two different homilies, okay? But I think it's good for us to examine ourselves frequently about whether or not we are the church that Jesus wants us to be. So the Acts of the Apostles, uh, the reading we have today, is a continuation of the presentation of the journey of St. Paul and St. Barnabas as missionaries in the church. And in the first, how many lines would this be? Um, well, the first five lines, we find four different characteristics of what's required to be a good church. So I'd like to read these lines to you, and then you can put it together with me as I reflect on it. After Paul and Barnabas had proclaimed the good news to that city and made a considerable number of disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. There they strengthened the spirits of the disciples and exhorted them to persevere in the faith, saying, it's necessary for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, these, these few lines contain a description of essential elements of being the church. And the first characteristic that's listed here is a church that's worth, that's worth its name as a Catholic church is a church that evangelizes. And evangelizes mean you preach about Jesus in order to draw more people to know him and to love him and to commit themselves to him. Here it says that, that um, Barnabas and Paul, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page. Barnabas and Paul proclaimed the good news and made a considerable number, number of disciples. So Father Gill, pastor of the parish, 
members of the parish. I know many of you are, are, are guests who come here occasionally, but this is focused primarily on the cathedral parish. Are you a parish that evangelizes? Do considerable numbers of people who meet you want to come to know Jesus Christ? I know at Easter we baptized, how many did we baptize? 13 adults, which is a good number, I guess. But I wonder how many of us consciously make an effort to bring other people to Jesus Christ, beginning with our family, of course, but then extending to our friends and our neighbors and people at work and the like. It's a characteristic of the church that we evangelize and bring people to Jesus. Characteristic number two, after doing this, it says they returned, that means they'd been there before, to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. There they strengthened the spirits of the disciples and exhorted them to persevere in the faith. Second characteristic of what it means to be the church, that we're a community that supports and strengthens the spirit of those who already have become Christians. Now the parish has to ask itself the question, is this a kind of community where people's Christian faith is strengthened? Do we exhort one another by our example and by our words? The word exhort, I looked it up this week because it was in a reading for the, uh, an academic program that I was speaking at. The word exhort comes from a Latin word, hortare, which means to incite, like to incite a rebellion, you know. And to, to incite means you put fire under someone's seat, that you stir them up. Is this a kind of community where the faith of those who are already Catholics is incited, first of all, by the good example, but also by the words of our fellow Catholics? And we do that in parishes by preaching and by classes, like Bible study classes, but most of all, by the good example of one another. You know, there's nothing that brings people to Jesus and keeps them there more than the good example of others who believe. So are you that kind of Catholic? Third point. When they, when they exhorted, uh, they told, told them, it's necessary for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. To be a Christian requires a willingness to suffer hardships because of Jesus Christ. You know, when I was younger, I'm, I'm 74 now, but when I was younger, it was pretty easy to be a Catholic. In my hometown, I, I would imagine 40% of the people were Catholics and 80% of those people went to church every Sunday. And even those who weren't Catholics were at least friendly with Catholics, you know, and thought they were good people. We live in a very different world today, don't we? Where because of our sins, people sometimes look down on us, but even without that, they look down on us because of the things that we believe. Like abortion, we believe that abortion's always wrong. No circumstances where it's right. And if we say that out loud, we're bound to be despised and rejected by many people in our culture and society. We believe that marriage is a relationship between one man and one woman for the sake of children. 
We believe that contraception's wrong because marriage is about, and sexual relationships are about, having children. My father was one of 14. My mother was one of eight. I'm just one of three. Many young couples who get married today don't want children. They don't see marriage as about children at all. And if we believe that and we speak about it and we live lives like that, there are gonna be people who make fun of us and who despise us. You know, most women who have several children tell me that they're often made fun of at the grocery store when they're shopping by other people who make fun of them because they have so many children. It's a crazy world. It's a crazy, crazy world. So if you're, if you're serious about being a Christian, you have to be willing to suffer for the faith. It's essential. And are you that kind of person? Are we that kind of community? And do we support one another in being faithful to the faith even when it's not a popular thing to do? Another characteristic of what it means to be the church. The fourth characteristic from this reading is the next line. I haven't read it yet, so I'm gonna read it again. They appointed elders for them in each church and with prayers and fasting commended them to the Lord in whom they had put their faith. Yesterday morning here at our cathedral, I ordained seven men as new priests in the church. We're grateful to God for those seven young men who are now priests. But a sign of a, a good church is it produces vocations to church leadership, not only to ordain ministry and consecrated life like the sisters of the church, but also lay leadership. You know that we don't just sit in the pews, but we do something about leading the church. And leadership is something for clergy, for religious, but most of all for the laity. You know, you are supposed to be leaders in the church and not just followers. Are we the kind of parish that produces leaders for the church? I think that we have two or three vocations to the priesthood from this parish, don't we? Two or three seminarians. We have four seminarians now from the cathedral parish, which is a good thing. But we don't have a single deacon who's from this parish. All the deacons who come to help me on Sunday night come from other parishes. And I don't know if we have any young women. We have one. Oh, we have two. Somebody new. We have two young women who are thinking about being sisters and are committing themselves to that way of life. Another characteristic of what it means to be the church. So let's look at those again. The church is evangelizing. The church is building up the faith of those who are already members. We incite one another by our good example and our words. The church is willing to suffer for the truth of our faith and we don't back down and we're not shy about publicly saying what we believe. And the fourth characteristic is that we produce vocations of leadership in the church. All learned from our reading from the Acts of the Apostles. So, would I give this parish an A plus on this exam? A B? What do you think, Father Gill? I think we're working towards an A. He thinks we're working towards an A. But you could be working from an F to an A, or you could be working from a C to an A. I'm just joking. You know, this is a very unusual parish. You know, it's just not the same kind with people who live in the neighborhood, like many other parishes. It's quite different from that. But you have a good leader, and uh, many good things happen here. But we have to struggle 
more and more and more all the time to be the church that Jesus dreams us to be, okay? I'd like to look at today's gospel reading just briefly. Uh, the context of this, the gospel reading tonight is from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 13. And in the, in the scriptures, it's described as the farewell discourse of Jesus. It took place on the night before he died, the night of the Last Supper, and he gave a long talk to his disciples. It's referred to as a testament. You know what a testament is? You've heard of make, some people make a will and testament. A will is, is giving the things that they have to other people. A testament is saying what they believe. And so Jesus is giving a testament to his disciples, talking about the most important things that he believes that he's sharing with them. And he uses two words that are not the way we ordinarily understand those words. They're not the conventional meaning. The first word is glory, and the second word is love. Let's talk about glory. When you and I talk about glory, we usually think of something really spectacular, don't we? Like a Fourth of July celebration with all kinds of fireworks. It's glorious, you know. Or we go to a wedding and everything just runs smoothly. The bride is beautiful. The music is wonderful. The groom is in tears because he loves his bride so very much. And we go home and say, that was really a glorious wedding. When Jesus is speaking here, when he says, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him, he's talking about his crucifixion. How could that possibly be something glorious, something that gives glory to God the Father? I think a, an example from our ordinary experience, I don't, it's not our personal ordinary experience, but I think something we can easily understand, is a soldier coming back from battle. And this happened a lot at the end of the Second World War, where the soldiers who fought in Europe or fought in Asia came home, and there were great parades for those soldiers, and those parades were glorious expressions of patriotism and gratitude that the soldiers had been willing to risk their lives in the service of the country. And I'm sure their mothers and their fathers who were happy to have them back thought that was a glorious day, you know? Because there's something glorious about a willingness to sacrifice yourself for others. And that's what Jesus is saying here. What gives the Father glory, what gives him glory and which gives us as his disciples glory is our willingness to sacrifice for others. And the cross is a symbol, I like to repeat this a hundred times a year, is a symbol not of suffering, but of sacrifice. The reason we walk behind it in a procession, the reason we have it hanging in our churches, the reason Christians who are serious often have it hanging around their neck is because it's a sign to us of Jesus's self-sacrificing love. And that's what gives glory to God. Now, when we think of the word love, we generally think of the warm feelings we have towards our mothers, our fathers, our children, our spouses. If we are romantic, we think of the day we fell in love with someone that we eventually married. Those were wonderful experiences of love. And they are, I mean, they're genuine experiences of love. 
But when a husband marries his wife at the wedding celebration, he doesn't promise to feel love for her. <laughs> he promises to love her. And that's a difference, you know. And to love her how much? In good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. Because love is not about feelings, essentially. It's about commitment. If someone loves you, that means they've taken responsibility for you. They're committed to you. And there's nothing more glorious in the world than to have someone care for us that much that she takes responsibility for us and promises to care for us. You know, that's why we love our mothers so much, is because they embody that kind of self-sacrificing love. So love is not about me, it's always about the, the other person. And Jesus here tells his disciples that he's giving them a new commandment. I often wonder what they thought he was going to say. And I think they must have been disappointed when he said, I give you a new commandment, love one another. And they probably said, that's not new. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, we were told to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then Jesus goes on to explain in the next line. I give you a new commandment, love one another. As I have loved you, so you should also love one another. So the love that Jesus is talking about here is not romantic love, but self-sacrificing love. And that's the command. And, you know, to tell somebody to love somebody else is kind of a strange thing to us because we think love has to be free. We can't just do it because we're told to. But Jesus tells us to, to love one another. And then he goes on to say, this is how all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus here is not telling us to love the Muslims. He's not telling us to love the atheists who hate us. He tells us to do that too. But what he's telling us here is to love one another. It's intra-church loving. And he's saying the way people will know that you're my community if they look at you and they see that you love one another. The people sitting next to you in the pew, people sitting behind you and in front of you, the people up here, you know, a sign of that we're disciples of Jesus Christ is if we actually love one another. And I often wonder if people walking by this church would be able to recognize that we're disciples of Jesus by the love we have for one another. You know, when we run past one another rushing for the door to get in our cars to leave after Mass, <laughs> rather than just take time to even know each other and to care for each other. I know sometimes we have reasons to run, you know, but we also have many reasons to love one another and to be a church where that is actually true about our intra-church relationships. You gotta love the poor, you gotta love your enemies, but you also have to love one another. And that's the real sign of being the church of Jesus Christ. So we ask the Lord to help us in our celebration of this fifth Sunday of Easter 
to make all these characteristics of a good church to be the characteristics of this parish, but also to be the characteristics of each one of us because we are the stones that build the church, which is the living body of Christ in the world today. May, may God bring to completion the good things he begins in our hearts through these scripture readings.